following audio is from the Anglican Church, Caroline Springs. For more information about the church, go to taccs.org.au. Um, if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn up John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the end of your row. And if you don't own a Bible, then take that one with you, okay? That's, that's our gift to you. And uh, this morning, we're not going to have our video Bible reading, and I'm not even going to read the whole text because we've got the whole chapter, and, uh, and uh, you know, it'll just take me a long time. And so this morning, what I'm going to do is um, just guide you through it. Uh, I'll give you the big idea of this chapter, and then we're just going to go to uh, a short passage within it. So uh, great to see some new people here this morning. If you're if you are new, basically what we do is we, we devote a lot of our time in the service to the teaching and preaching of God's Word and to the reading of God's Word. And what we tend to do is preach through verse by verse, whole text of the Bible. Uh, we're not going to do that this morning because uh, last week I preached for an hour and 20 minutes or something. And if we did that this week, we'd be here all day, all right? So, um, so we won't do that, but I will take you to what I think uh, and trust that God wants us to hear from this chapter this morning. Sorry, it's John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And I don't have a page number, but if you've got one, you might like to help us out. Okay, 896. Page 896 if you've got a church Bible. And once again, just want to encourage you, if you, if you really don't own a Bible, take that one with you. Someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, were you just joking uh, when you said that? And no, we're, we're serious. We want you to have a Bible and you can have it for free, okay? Uh, just like salvation. God gives us salvation for free and we can't give you that, but we can give you a Bible. All right, so John chapter 10. In this passage, Jesus says two things that have become utterly idiomatic. They've become uh, common uh, knowledge for people who didn't, uh, perhaps didn't even grow up in church. It's where Jesus says two I am statements which we've discovered are very important statements over the last few weeks. He says, I am the gate for the sheep and I am the good shepherd. I am the gate for the sheep and I am the good shepherd. And so that's a very famous passage. But I want to say this morning that it's also one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages in the book of John. The most famous, the most well-known, also one of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages. And so what what has happened over the years, and especially in the last hundred years, this passage has led Christians around the world to have a particular view of Jesus that is uh, not befitting of the context that we find ourselves in John chapter 10. And so I've got a picture, a very famous painting that you might have had somewhere in your uh, nursery when you're a little kid, uh, or some kind of derivative of that. I had one at our house, Jesus looking similarly white, which is weird, uh, given that he wasn't, um, similarly kind of well-groomed, um, holding a lamb, except we had lots of little kids around him. And uh, this one, they've got doves, or pigeons, or whatever they are. Okay? So this is the picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, that some of us have in our minds. And if you've got that in your house, um, you're still welcome to be part of our church, all right? I'll make fun of it, but you're still welcome, okay? I hope I'm not offending you making fun of this picture, but it is 
it is a funny picture, all right? And, and here's the thing, right? This picture of Jesus, 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 meek and mild, Jesus holding lambs, Jesus entertaining children, uh, at one level, it's, it's accurate, right? At one level, this is a beautiful truth about Jesus, that he is the king of the universe, that he is the, the one who said a couple of weeks ago before uh, Abraham was, I am. He is the uncreated, uncaused creator. And at the same time, he is intimate, he is close, he is personal, he knows us by name, right? He, he, he does kind of sit us on his lap and, and cuddle us like a lamb. In some ways, that's true. But that, that picture is so foreign to what Jesus is talking about here when he calls himself the Good Shepherd. In fact, it is the opposite of what he is referring to in this chapter. And so rather than this picture, what I want you to have in mind is this next picture, right? That's more accurate. This is a more accurate picture of Jesus, all right? It's same white guy problems, um, too much blue paint on his face, but he's more brave heart than, than, than cuddly lamb-loving shepherd, all right? Has anyone seen Braveheart? You guys are giving me a lot of blank stares. Come on. It's, it's in my top three, all right? It's in my top three, uh, best movies of all time. And uh, I've been to uh, Sterling, where the Battle of Sterling Bridge happened, and I've been to the, um, the William Wallace Monument in, in Scotland. I've been up into the Highlands where much of it was filmed, and, and, and I love everything about this film. I love how much blood there is and violence there is, and, uh, and, and vengeance there is. And there is one um, particular scene that you might remember if you've seen the film where William Wallace has this kind of ragtag bunch of uh, Highlanders uh, behind him on this hill, and I think it's at the Battle of Stirling that this happens. And, um, and then on the other opposite hill, there is the vast army of the English, and uh, Duncan's kind of nodding and saying, yeah, yeah. Um, and and, and uh, Duncan's English, if you knew. All right, and, and, and they're kind of arrayed there, and they're all looking very pompous and official. And uh, the Scottish nobles come to William Wallace and say, listen, here's how it's going to go. You're going to get on your horse. You're going to meet them halfway. You're going to meet these English lords. You're going to pay homage to them. You're going to offer them more of your lands. And then we're all going to walk away, and there's not going to be any blood spilled. This is how it works. And so uh, what William Wallace does is take a couple of his right-hand men go across to the English lords and say, uh, we're going to tell you how it's going to go. And I won't use the language that he uses, though it is uh, great language. And the writer of the film, but, yeah, um, incidentally, is a Christian guy. Um, but, but, but basically he says, uh, what's going to happen is we're going to whoop you, and then on the way home you're going to need to apologise to every Scottish, uh, 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 Scottish person that you have kind of, you know, raped and pillaged and dishonoured over the last thousand years. And, 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 and that's the picture that we need to have of Jesus here this morning. It's a face-off. It's a face-off between Jesus, William Wallace, and the Pharisees, the English nobles. And Jesus doesn't back down. And what Jesus says actually antagonizes them and once again causes them to pick up stones and want to kill him. If you've been here a few, for the last few weeks, you're going to see this just keeps happening. Jesus antagonizes, they pick up stones. 
Jesus calls himself God, they want to kill him. And we're going to see exactly the same thing happen this morning. And so the picture you've got to have in your mind is Jesus the brave heart, not Jesus the cuddly shepherd. Jesus the conquering king. And here's why. It isn't just that the context is one of confrontation, though it is. Actually, why don't we do this? Why don't we just pick it up, read with me, because this is actually really important and something that we need to learn here about how to read our Bible. So let's pick it up. John chapter 9, the last part of John chapter 9. If you think this is a bit of a stretch and you think I'm just kind of a bit of a Braveheart fan and trying to foister it upon the gospel, then check this out. John chapter 9, verses 39. This is where we were last week. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now, he just healed a blind man, but he's not talking uh, literally here. He's talking metaphorically. He's not talking about uh, physical blindness. He's talking about spiritual blindness. And he says he's come in to judge that those who are seeing, that those who think they're righteous, that those who think they're religious, that those who think they're close to God may be blinded. They're going to be blinded by Jesus, by the truth. And those who are blind, those who are far from God, may see, see the truth. And you see this right throughout his ministry. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to him, said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now don't finish there when you're doing your Bible reading. Don't finish there because it's the end of the chapter, because it shouldn't be the end of the chapter. That's dumb. The fact that it's the end of the chapter is dumb. And so if, you, if, you, if you're not kind of of a church background or you don't know your Bible that well, you don't know church history that well, then you need to know that the, the verses and chapters aren't inspired by God. They're not in the original text. They came in sometime in the Middle Ages, okay? They were added in quite helpfully as kind of a, the equivalent of addresses. We use an address to find someone's house. They were put in as kind of signposts, addresses, so that we could find things in the Bible. So I can say go to John 10.10 10, and not, you know, page 433 of that. And, you know, it's helpful. It was unhelpful the day that they decided to put John 10 here. Because if you look carefully, there's no break in the conversation. There's no need to start a new chapter. He says, now that you say we see, your guilt remains, no break. Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. He continues his condemnation of them. Thieves, robbers. You're meant to be the shepherds of Israel and you're thieves and robbers. If you came in this morning with that picture of Jesus holding a lamb who's just a nice guy who wouldn't hurt a fly, no. William Wallace, blue paint, thieves, robbers. All right, That's the kind of guy he is, especially when he's confronting these self-righteous religious guys. And so that's our context this morning. It's one of confrontation. It's one of battle. It's on the battleground at Stirling. They're facing off against one another. 
Now, further to that, not only is it context-driven, that the reason I'm saying that this is confrontational, but it's also based on the fact that we need to remember that the, both Jesus and these Jewish leaders have the entire Pentateuch, the entire first five books of the Bible memorised, and they have the rest of the Old Testament Scriptures at the forefront of their minds. Right? They are very religious. They know their Scriptures very well. And so Jesus uses this to get his message across over and over again. He uses language that we read without picking up any of the signs that his hearers could not ignore. And so he's picking up, in saying he's the good shepherd, he's picking up several Old Testament motifs to do with shepherds. And particularly, I want us to look at Jeremiah 23, verse 1 to 4, because it is a prophetic denunciation of the religious rulers that he's speaking to. The so-called shepherds of Israel. And so you can read along with it, with me. Jeremiah 23, and just hear this. This is what their mind's going to as they hear Jesus speak. God says through Jeremiah, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. That's the religious leaders, the shepherds. Therefore, says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who cared for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the, the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. That is a prophecy that came about verse by verse from Jesus coming through the early church. If you read that again and overlay it over the Gospels and Acts, you'll see that's exactly what happened. God denounces the shepherds of Israel. That's what Jesus is doing now with the priests and the Jews. They have driven his flock away. They have disregarded him. They have not attended to him. So God's going to attend to them through Jesus' denunciation of them. Then he's going to gather them in from all of the countries. Sound like the book of Acts, right? All of the countries he's going to gather them in. Jesus himself is going to say that there are sheep not of this fold, not of the people of Israel that he's going to gather in. And then he is going to set, verse 4, shepherds over them who will care for them. This, these are the pastors of the early church. The word pastor, you hear myself, me calling myself pastor, it's just the Latin term for shepherd. And so God's going to establish under-shepherds, pastors over his church to care for them. And they will be fruitful and multiply. The church grows by 3,000 people in one day in the book of Acts, right? All of this is exactly what happens, Jeremiah having prophesied it. And so these guys hear what Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, implication, you shepherds are the bad shepherds, you're not doing a good job, You are not attending to God's people. You are actually driving them away. 
you are, I think, uh, he says in Matthew, I think it's chapter 7, wolves in sheep's clothing. You are those, he says at the beginning of John chapter 10, who enter by another way. They climb into the sheepfold by another way. They are thieves and robbers. And, he, and they hear all of these things and they hear not sentimental words about Jesus wanting to cuddle us, but a declaration of war. That's what this is. It's a declaration of war. So next time you read John chapter 10, I'm the Good Shepherd, you need to hear a declaration of war on the current, the contemporary shepherds, leaders of the people of Israel. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Where you have failed, I will not fail. Now the paradox is, and where we need to depart from Braveheart in a sense, and every other tale of conquering heroes, is that this conquering king, this shepherd king, is the one who will lay down his life for his people. Where other conquering kings will come in and destroy where other conquering kings will come in and slay by the hundreds and thousands like William Wallace, killing hundreds of men, this conquering king comes in and rather than killing anyone, he himself dies. And it's not a tragic mistake. It is the will of the king to be slain in the place of his people. He says himself, and we're going to read it, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it up again. No one takes it from me. Jesus wasn't a... I heard this guy say recently at a lecture, he was a a church historian, he said he was talking about the tragedy of the cross and how it was all a sham and how that, you know, shouldn't have happened. And he was kind of lamenting the fact that Jesus died... Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. This isn't a mistake. Yeah, there was a miscarriage of justice, but this isn't out of the realm of my control. I lay down my life. I'm that kind of conquering king. So hear the similarities. Just hear these similarities between that passage we read in Jeremiah 23 and Jesus' own words in verse 14 to 18. You can follow along. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Pause there for a second. What did he just say? His people, he knows them and they know him just as what? Just as he knows his Father and his Father knows him. This is Jesus, the Son, in eternal, perfect Relationship with the Father, right? For eternity past, the most intimate possible relationship, he says, just as I know my Father, my people know me. Is that your relationship with Jesus this morning? Is that what it's like? Man. Something to pray about. 
Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them in also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. So you get this awesome contrast right through the book of John where Jesus says the most egocentric things possible. I am the gate for the sheep. There is no other way for the sheep to come to the Father. He's going to say the same thing in John chapter 14. We pick it up next year. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Singular, exclusive. Not one of the ways, not one of the truths. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the good shepherd. He makes these claims that if they're not true, are completely egocentric. He's the most self-obsessed narcissist that the world has ever known, unless they're true. So he says these grandiose claims about himself, and then he lays down his life. He allows himself to be killed. You get the most glorious, supreme king of the universe and the most humble, self-sacrificial servant. And so the good shepherd becomes the lamb who was slain. The good shepherd becomes the lamb who was slain and it's all voluntary. It's all out of his love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. First, I want to encourage you to read the whole chapter. No, no, no. First, I want to encourage you to read 9 through 10 and pretend it's one chapter. Okay? If you can do it without burdening your conscience, just to get a bit of white out and put it over the 10. All right? It doesn't need to be there. You're not scrubbing out God's word. We added it. All right? So, just relax. Don't do it to a church Bible. All right? And, and, and read the whole thing. But what I want to do now is just focus in on a few verses because I think they have some really important application for us here this morning, okay? And here's what I'm seeing right now. I'm, I'm, what I'm seeing is, first of all, what I'm seeing is, is a lot less people here this morning. And I was joking with um, the staff on Monday morning that because of the sermon last week and the fact that I was yelling at everyone, we'd have a bit more space this morning. So that's, that's good to see that that's happened, all right? We may never see those people again. Um, but you can pray for them. What else I'm seeing is, it, is, uh, is what I see in myself when I'm hearing a message like this. I'm, I'm seeing a reluctance to open up to it. Because it, it, if you're, the predominant understanding that you have of Jesus is just the harmless Jesus, first of all, he never would have got killed, all right? No one's going to kill him if he's just a harmless shepherd guy. So Right, so, so get past that, and then you, you need to open yourself up to what he's going to say to you. Here's what I know. As you hear the words of Jesus, you're going to be drawn to him. He has a magnetism that you'll be drawn towards, and you'll also be offended by him. You'll be stung by him. He does this to everyone. This is the divisiveness of Jesus that we've seen over and over again in this gospel. He divides. 
And so some people kill him and some people worship him. So this morning, what we've been praying up until this point, and, and what, what I want to pray for you, is that you just be able to open up your heart to this. Because it might sting a little bit. Okay? But Jesus is not only a good shepherd, he's a good surgeon. And, and as he stings and as he cuts, he's going to take out that which is bad and leave that which is good. All right? I want to pray for us. Okay? I need to pray for us right now. Let's bow our heads. Father, we need your help this morning. I believe these are your words for us this morning and I believe this passage that we're about to focus on is what you need us to hear, each one of us. None of us is here by mistake. Some of us have wandered in this morning on a whim, but everyone is here this morning because you want them here and you want them to hear your voice and you want them to follow you. So please open our ears and our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Let's go to John 10, we're going to verse 22, and we're going to look at verse 22 through to uh, verse 33, okay? So, what you need to know is that this um, part of John chapter 10 uh, happened at a different time to the previous part, uh, where Jesus talked about being the good shepherd, but John sees that they have the similar uh, language about Jesus being a shepherd and similar theological uh, significance, so he puts them together. Remember where Luke is a historian and he's very um, uh, uh, sequential. John is more of a theologian and he cuts and pastes bits together where they, they fit theologically. And so this, this happens some other time, but Jesus is talking about being a shepherd, so he's put it in here. Okay, So just, just so you know. Um, verse 22. Let's read 22 and 23. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So that's the context. It's the Feast of Dedication. It's like the American Thanksgiving, all right? They've got their own Thanksgiving Day. And so this is the Feast of Dedication. It happens in wintertime, and they thank God for all of the abundant crops and stuff that they've got. And it happens uh, fundamentally in the temple as a religious Ceremony, And so Jesus is walking through the temple on his way to this feast. And it says, verse 24, the Jews gathered around him. Literally, they surrounded him. This is another confrontation. He's surrounded by these wolves all of a sudden. And they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And so our theme right throughout this series has been, who is Jesus? John wrote this gospel to answer that question. He says as much in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. That's why he's written this book, so that we would know who Jesus is. We've been asking every week, who is Jesus? And these guys just asked Jesus, who is Jesus? They say, don't keep us in suspense. Who are you? If you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. And if you've been here the last few weeks or you've been listening online, you'll know they keep asking him and he keeps telling them. And he keeps telling them emphatically. Culminating, climaxing in that passage a couple of weeks ago where he said, before Abraham was, I am. And if we can't go into the background of that, but you need to pick up the sermon online. It's called, I am the I am, all right? And, and, and that is the most emphatic way that he could have told those Jewish people of the time, I am God. You keep asking me, 
I'm telling you, I'm God. Now, I don't know if they've got amnesia or they want to give him another chance or they just want more evidence to kill him. It could be all of those things. But here they are again, asking him again, who are you? And so his response is kind of understandable. He's on his way to a feast. He gets surrounded. They're going to ask him the same question. And so he says, verse 25, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. What he says is, I've told you and you don't believe, and I showed you and you don't believe. I told you and you don't believe. I've done these works, the works of my Father, these miracles. I've showed you and you don't believe. Some of you are auditory learners. Some of you are visual learners. I've done both of those things to get all of you. None of you believe. And he says, why? Why don't they believe? Because they're not of his flock. They're not sheep of his pasture. He's the good shepherd and they're not his sheep. Now this is interesting. Think about this. Because I think we tend to say that the other way around, don't we? We say you're not part of the flock because you don't believe. You're not part of God's people because you don't believe. Jesus says you don't believe because you're not part of the flock. It's a very, very important distinction. Everyone by nature is going to flip that upside down and say people don't, they're not part of God's flock because they don't believe. Scripture from start to end says no, people don't believe because they're not part of the flock. We can't get into the whole huge doctrine of election and, uh, and the doctrines of grace. But if you want a little insight into it, again, go online, go to our Ephesians series, go to Ephesians chapter 1, there's a sermon on that. And this passage is riddled with references to both election and irresistible grace and persevering grace. We'll leave that aside for now. So, Jesus says, you don't believe because you're not of my fold, you're not of my pasture, you're not of my flock. So the question is, what do the people of Jesus' flock do? What characterizes the people of Jesus' flock? And this is where I want to apply it to us this morning. If you call yourself a Christian... If you would say, yes, I am a sheep in Jesus' flock. He is my good shepherd. Then what's going to characterize us as the sheep of his flock? He's going to tell us in verse 27. Let's read. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. What do the sheep of Jesus' flock do? They hear his voice, and they follow him. Now, right throughout this gospel, John has been saying that those who are of Jesus' flock, to put it in these terms, are those who believe in him. Right? In chapter 1, he says uh, to all those who received him and believed in his name, he gave uh, the 
privilege of being sons of God, daughters of God. And in John chapter 3, John says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all who believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And it seems that Jesus has taken it up a notch in this explanation of who his disciples are, who his sheep are. Because he says, not only do they believe in me, but they hear my voice and they follow me. They hear my voice and they follow me. So, the question is this morning, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, a sheep of the good shepherd, are you hearing his voice and following him? Simple question. Are you hearing his voice and are you following him? In my last job, uh, very different to Caroline Springs, I was working in Doncaster with an ageing population versus this very young population. I saw someone the other day in Caroline Springs who had grey hair. I just stared for a while, all right? Uh, love you, Doug. All right, so... Um, and uh, Sorry, I didn't say hello. Uh, but um, uh, in Doncaster, really ageing population. Everyone's retiring, right? And so I did funerals all the time because we were the Church of England and, you know... Heaps of people identify as Church of England people, Anglicans. And so I'd do all these funerals, and the first thing I would ask them would be, uh, you know, did Grandpa believe in Jesus? And very often they would say, well, he wasn't, he, he wasn't a religious man. He didn't go to church, um, and, and he probably... He wouldn't say he believed in Jesus, but he did believe in, he definitely believed in God. And that's why we're having the service in, in the church. So yes, he believed in God. And then I'd say, so what, a little bit later, uh, I'd say, what, what passages do you want read in the service? And every time, without fail, Psalm 23, John chapter 10. Psalm 23, you're familiar with it? The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want... John 10, I am the good shepherd. Without fail, every time. And here's what I would have loved to have done in those situations. What I would have loved to have been able to do is get Grandpa out of the box and sit down with him a few days before he died and talk to him about what it means to believe in God. Because he might say he believes in God. He might claim Psalm 23 and John chapter 10 and say, yes, the Lord is my shepherd. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long or forever. You might claim those things, but unless you're hearing his voice and following him, then you're not a Christian. You don't believe in God. You don't believe in Jesus. You're not a follower of him. And that would have been an absolutely vital conversation to have because so many go to their graves under the false assumption that they're believers. False assumption. I grew up going to church. I went to Sunday school. I'm Church of England. I got baptised at some point. Well, are you following him? Are you hearing his voice? Because that's the qualifications that the good shepherd himself puts on the sheep of his pasture. 
what I've discovered is for many people who get to the end of their lives and find actually that they're not believers, you can trace their journey back to a church where they were led by a wolf in sheep's clothing. And there are many churches within shouting distance of us and there are many Anglican churches within shouting distance of us that are being led by affable, gentle, loving, pastoral wolves who are tearing sheep apart. Because they refuse to bend the knee to the good shepherd. They refuse to believe the truth of the gospel. They say things like, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. He rose in our hearts. Jesus wasn't really God. He was a great example for us. And churches are full, full to the brim with pastors who have more in common with their father, Satan, than with their heavenly father. And Jesus is addressing them right here. And you wonder why the Anglican church is going down the toilet. Didn't plan on saying that. Where was I? All right. Don't leave here today without considering this. Am I hearing Jesus' voice? The primary, the dependable, the certain place that you can hear his voice every time you go to listen to it is right here in his word. This is Jesus' word. So are you reading Jesus' word? Are you reading his words every day? Are you listening to his voice? Do you know what happens to sheep who don't listen to the voice of their shepherd? They die. Do you know this about sheep? Like if you let a horse go or a cow go, they'll be fine. If you let a sheep go, they die. It's this weird thing about sheep. They can't live if they're not domesticated. They can't live if they don't have a shepherd. They can't live if they've got someone to guide them. You know sheep, and this is documented, sheep who are stray will often just turn over on their back and expire, just die of exposure. They're dumb, all right? No offense, but that's what God calls us, all right? We're sheep, all right? And we're, we're like that. If you're not listening to the voice of your good shepherd daily, and if you're not gathering with the other sheep weekly, then you will go astray and you will die spiritually. You will. It's funny how Christians say, people who claim to be Christians say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. It's like a sheep saying, I'm a sheep, but I don't need to be with the rest of my sheep. I don't need to be in the paddock. No, they die, right? They die. So they hear his voice and they follow him. Are you following him day by day? That's what the sheep do. What does the good shepherd do for his sheep? Verse 28 says, I give them eternal life. That's a pretty good deal, right? Give him your ears, give him your feet, listen to his voice, follow him. 
He gives you eternal life. That's a good deal. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus' promise is that those who hear his voice and follow him will have eternal life from the day they begin to follow him now into eternity, 10 trillion years from now. If you're following Jesus, you have eternal life now and forever and no one will be able to take you out of it. No one will be able to snatch you away from it. Jesus guarantees that those who follow him will not fall from him. How do you know that you will be staying a Christian for the rest of your life? How do you know that this is true, that no one's going to snatch you out of his hand? How do you know that you can't fall away? Well, you follow him. That's the proof. If you're not following him, maybe you were never saved in the first place. Maybe you were never his sheep. If you're following him, that's a daily reminder that he's keeping you. See how it works? That's how perseverance works. So be, be afraid of weeks and months without talking to him, without hearing from him, without gathering with the other sheep of his pasture. He promises to give eternal life. He promises to keep you safe forever. That's a big Claim. How does he back it up? Verse 29 to 30. My father who has given them, given these sheep to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. They're my sheep. No one can snatch them out of my hand. How? Well, no one can snatch them out of the father's hand. And me and him are the same thing. I and the father are one. Every week we're picking up verses for you to tell to your, your JW, your Jehovah's Witness buddies, all right, that come to your door. They love Caroline Springs, by the way. They love Caroline Springs. Um, you can say the same thing to the Mormons. When they tell you that Jesus is created, that Jesus is uh, an angel in disguise, that Jesus is not the uncreated creator, take them to before Moses, uh, Abraham was, I am. Take them to John ten twenty nine. I and the Father one. I and the Father are one. How can Jesus back up that massive claim to keep you in eternal life in a trillion years from now without any danger of falling away and ending up in hell? Well, he and the Father are one. He is the supreme governor of the universe and no one can overpower him. He is greater than everyone. Satan wants to take you out of the kingdom of God. Bad luck. Right? There's no move there. He will keep you safe for eternity because he is God. And so we'll finish up. Who is Jesus? That's the question we've been asking you over and over again. Who is Jesus? Verse 31 to 33. The Jews get it. Do you get it? The Jews get it. The Jews answered him. Uh, the Jews, sorry, verse 31. The Jews picked up stones. I love doing this. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Why did they do that? Someone remember? 
They didn't go at him to punch him. They didn't take out a sword to cut him. They picked up stones because, tell us, Nolene, it's the punishment for blasphemy. Blasphemy. It's the punishment for blasphemy. Well, Jesus never said that he was God. No, he did, and that's why they want to kill him. Blasphemy. Let's keep reading. They'll make it even more explicit. So the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Love Jesus' sarcasm. Verse 33, the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They got it. Do you get it? Who is Jesus? That's the question. They hear what he's just said. They've picked up on the Old Testament motif of the good shepherd, the conquering king, who would come and gather people from every nation into an everlasting kingdom. They've heard him say that he can do just that because he and the Father are one, and so they want to kill him because they understand he says he's God. What do you say? What do you say? Is he God? If he is, then let's hear his voice. If he is, then let's follow him. Perseverance is a community project. Christian faith and discipleship is a community project. And so this church exists to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, the conquering shepherd king. And so if that interests you at all, if you want to hear God's voice and follow him, then we'd love, love, love to have you join us as we endeavor to do that together. All of us are stumbling, stupid sheep, and God is calling us together to follow him, our good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making this, your word, so plain to us. I can't think of a way that you could make it more plain to us who you are and what you've done and therefore what our response ought to be. I pray for each one of us that we would hear the simple commandment of our shepherd and that we would hear and obey his voice. Father, forgive us for when we've strayed. Forgive us for thinking that though we're sheep, we can exist on our own. That we can be our own shepherds. It's ridiculous, Lord. Forgive us. Lord Jesus, please have mercy on Caroline Springs. Have mercy on the west of Melbourne. Have mercy on those who are attending churches led by wolves. We pray that you would attend to those wolves in the way that you've described in Jeremiah 23. And that you would save those sheep and bring them into safe pasture. And I pray for these brothers and sisters, these friends here this morning, 
particularly those who Jesus said are like sheep without a shepherd, who need Jesus. I pray that this morning that they would hear your voice and that they would follow you. Lord, we trust this morning that your word will go out and that those who are of your fold will respond with faith and that those who aren't won't and we leave that in your hands. Our sovereign shepherd king. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Anglican Church Caroline Springs podcast. For more information, go to taccs.org.au.